Crooks Corner. What's the deal? Huh? What's popping, y'all? It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Feels good to be back. You know what I'm saying? If you hear background noises, you know, I'm in my backyard as usual. Smoking on a Romeo and Julieta Churchill. Church. <laughs> Church on the move. Uh, that's because I, uh, like I always say, I vacation at my crib. You know what I mean? I travel so much. I vacation at the house. But even when I'm vacationing at the crib, I'm still working. It's not a nine to five to me. You know, I may call it a career. But it's really a lifestyle. My passion for music. My passion to create art. As soon as I wake up in the morning and until I fall asleep, I'm on the clock. You heard me? So, yo. This is the first episode of the Blood Money podcast series. My time and experience on the historical label Death Row Records. Before we get started, let me just say thank you to everybody who supports this podcast with that new feature, listeners support. Thank you to everybody who supports this podcast with a monthly subscription. If you're not a subscriber, please become one. I want to give a large portion of whatever we raise on this podcast to a charity that helps homeless families. I have not found a new charity that I want to do it with yet. I used to have one I used to give money to all the time, but unfortunately they had to shut down, you know, due to lack of funding. And that's that's just one of them things. You know what I mean? But hit me on Twitter at Crooked Entry Ago. Hit me on Insta. King Crooked King with the X K X N G Crooked. And uh let me know. Let me know if you know any good charities that we could donate money to that specifically help homeless families. All right. But yo, back to this blood money series. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because there's a lot of information that people still don't know about. A lot of info on the final chapter of Death Row Records. We're going to dive into all that, the crazy shit, the gangster shit. We won't incriminate. We won't dry snitch. None of that. We just going to get down to the facts without sugarcoating shit. You feel me? There's a lot to unpack. A lot to unpack this series. Lisa Left Eye Lopez from the super mega group TLC. Her time at Death Row Records. Many of her fans don't know what she was like on Death Row, you know? What it was like to record with her. What it was like to, to write with her. You know what I'm saying? Nina. That was her moniker over there. That was her rap moniker. Nina. Rest in peace to the goddess. I will unpack what it was like to be at a label that was a shadow of his former self. Tupac, rest in peace to the God. He was no longer there in the physical. He was gone. Dr. Dre, gone. Nate Dogg, rest in peace. Before his untimely passing, he left death row. RBX, gone. Lady of Rage, gone. 
At certain points, dads are corrupt, gone. Suge Knight's freedom, gone. This is what I walked into. This is what was left for me as an artist to try to piece back together. But let me tell you what wasn't gone. The millions. The bag. The bag was there. And it was a big bag. Oversized bag. You know what else was over there? Suge's eye for talent. You know what else wasn't gone? The street soldiers. The death row army. The diehard fan base was still there. The music directors. The A&Rs. The execs. The relationships. They were there. So it was something to build upon. You know what I mean? The house was demolished. But Suge still owned the land. He could build another one, in theory. But with who? So, well, uh, let me just start at the beginning. How did I end up on Death Row Records? Well, before signing, I already had relationships with, you know, artists from Death Row because a lot of them were from my city, Long Beach. You had Snoop Dogg, of course, Daz. RBX, Nate Dogg, and, and a whole bunch of others that might not have made it, so-called made it to the mainstream's eye, but still were on the label. You know, Snoop, Daz, Nate, these dudes were icons in the city. They were starting to blow up worldwide. The music was blasting out of everybody's cars that rolled by. It was like inescapable. I was just a teenager trying to make a name for myself, you know, out there battling rappers, pressing up my own mixtapes, using whatever little money I had to book studio time and doing whatever I had to do to get on. Seeing Snoop flying down Atlantic Avenue on the east side of Long Beach in a brand new whip, chunking a deuce out the window. A super duper local young rappers would see him fly by and just stand there like damn fuck that shit we gotta get in the game <laughs> it was inspirational I remember when I was real young right sidebar story real quick I remember being in Snoop's mansion for the first time I'm sitting on this big ass couch with an EBT card in my back pocket. For those who don't know what an EBT card is, that is a food stamp card. <laughs> oh, shit. That's a food stamp card. Government benefits hit that bitch once a month. And you go shopping like a motherfucker. But anyway, I was sitting there in Snoop's fucking palace thinking damn he got all this from rapping now I already took my dream serious very serious but being there solidified it even more I was like fuck that I ain't gonna ever 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 forever ever ever stop rapping you feel me <laughs> like I said I was a kid though you know what I'm saying so 
I was a baby teen. So I was asking shit you're not supposed to ask. Like, hey man, how much money you make? <laughs> Pocket checking. <laughs> Why? I don't think I ever told Snoop that story of how inspirational that particular day was. I got to tell him one day. So, yeah, I saw up close the type of success an artist can have on Death Row Records. Mm-hmm. Y'all know I'm smoking a cigar. Y'all got to forgive me. I'm saying. So relaxing. Oh, God. But listen, I saw how you could be super successful on death row. You know, I was not on the label at the time. I was just a kid. Peeping game. Fast forward to a few indie deals, a major deal with Virgin. Back to no deal at all. You know, that rap cycle that a lot of us artists go through. Just so happened that one day, one of my songs was on the L.A. radio station. An R&B singer, Michelle A., who was in a relationship with Suge at the time. I'm sure some of y'all saw her TV show depicting her relationship with Suge. I don't know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? That's none of my fucking business. But anyway, Michelle A. heard the song. And what she heard was not really a song. It was more of an intro freestyle to a radio show. I recorded it for Lala Anthony. Yeah, Lala. I don't know who all knows this, but back in the day, Lala had a, a show on L.A. radio called The B-Side. So, Michelle A. heard me rapping on this radio show and told Suge about me. At this point, Suge was incarcerated in prison on a violation. Y'all remember the footage that allegedly shows him kicking someone in Vegas at that casino with Tupac? Yeah, so he was serving time. He was on that, he was on that run right there when my name came across his desk. Somehow though, and this is the crazy shit. Word got to my homies Big C Style and Daz that Death Row was interested in me. So they came to me and said, yo, we starting a new label called Dog Pound Records. It will be like an imprint on Death Row Records, so a sub label, so to speak. And we'd like to sign you as one of the main acts. At the time, I had no clue that Michelle Lay had already been asking about me. So I don't know if it was a coincidence or they decided to beat her to the punch. You know what I mean? Don't know. But anyway, it sounded cool to me. Because by that time, me and Big C Style had made some great moves together. You know, you know, in the music business and made some money and put out some great projects together. So, I figured this could be another cool move, you know. So, I right, cool. I'm in. Fast forward. Time for us to all go see Suge. And talk about Dog Pound Records slash Death Row. With me as the first release. Now we had to go see Suge in the pen. Because like I said he was incarcerated at the time. Death Row's travel agents booked my flights. Put me in first class. I was a youngster. Felt good. The seats was comfortable. The drinks was flowing. 
It was popping. Another sidebar, real quick. Before officially getting to know Suge, I had like a few memories of Suge. One of my memories was me, Big C Style, and our homeboy, Big Randog, pulled up to a Snoop and Tupac studio session. They were in there recording songs. I think a St. Eyes commercial too. I'll always remember it because my homie Big Randog is huge. <laughs> the kind of dude who knocks out multiple people quickly in a brawl. Muscle bound. And it was funny because as he walked in the door, Suge was coming out of it. And him and Big Randall kind of went through the door at the same time. <laughs> now you got two big buff motherfuckers trying to squeeze through the doorway in slow motion and staring at each other as they pass one another and shit. Shit looked funny as fuck. I was cracking up in the car. Then I got out. <laughs> it was also the night I met Tupac for the first time. But again, we'll discuss that later. Now back to me visiting Suge in the penitentiary for this dog pound record situation. The meeting was supposed to be me, Daz, Big C Style, Suge, and Reggie Wright. Now, Reggie was running death row for Suge while Suge was locked up. I took a separate flight, okay? So I arrived after C Style and Daz. They had got there like about an hour and some change before me. The whole time, Suge was incarcerated. Peep this crazy shit. The whole time he was incarcerated, he kept a Chevy Tahoe parked at the airport in Sacramento. Because that's where he was locked up. He was up north. Right? He kept this Tahoe parked at the airport in Sacramento for six years, my G. <laughs> Imagine the parking bill. The, the truck was parked there for six years. Six. That nigga was wilding. <laughs> but anyway, B, there's some guys from Death Row. We all coordinated at the airport when I landed in SAC. We piled into the Tahoe and we headed to see Suge. Keep in mind. These dudes are strangers to me. I don't know these niggas. All I know is their reputations. So during the car ride, I notice tension. You know what I'm saying? Start to mount up. Niggas start speaking quieter. After a phone call, Reggie got explaining that there had been some kind of big argument between Suge Knight, Daz, and Big C Style. Style and Daz took an earlier flight. So they got there first. And apparently had a big ass argument with Suge. When they got to the facility. Here I am in a Tahoe truck surrounded by death row security staff. And everybody just seemed to be in a bad mood. You know what I mean? <laughs> Suddenly the truck broke down. In the middle of the fucking boondocks I was thinking ain't no way this fucking truck broke down yeah right you know what I'm saying 
That's just too convenient. It's not no way this fucking truck broke down. You know what I mean? These dudes finna try to jump me or worse. <laughs> so, I'm looking around for an exit strategy. You know what I'm saying? I'm contemplating some sort of exit strategy, but there really wasn't one or any at the time because we're in the middle of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm just thinking, damn, I'm about to get jumped or worse. I'm going to go down swinging. You feel me? I'm going to just go down swinging. Oh, God. That's when Reggie told me, yo, this is what happened. He said there was a beef over Daz and Big C-Style jumped in. So the whole thing started, had to do something with Daz and Suge and Big C-Style jumped in. Words were exchanged, threats were exchanged, shit got ugly. So now I'm thinking, what the fuck? You know what I mean? So, allegedly, or supposedly, I would say, that's a better word, Suge told Daz to do more producing and less rapping. And that kind of upset Daz from what I was told. And the conversation escalated to threats, Gang banging and set tripping. You know what I'm saying? But that's a story for them to tell you or somebody else. I wasn't there in person. You know, this is he say, she say. So I, I don't know exactly what happened. All I know is when we got to Mule Creek Correctional Facility in Ion, California, miles out from Sacramento, I was walking into a fucking ambush. <laughs> I remember looking at the gun towers, going through all the various security checks, the fences, you know, the barbed wires, the gates, you know what I mean? That type of shit. Finally got inside and I saw Suge sitting at the table. Because at this point of his sentence, he had contact visits. So we all had an opportunity to sit down and talk. Suge was in a fucked up mood. <laughs> I could tell he was in a fucked up mood from what happened with Daz and Big Style. So he told me what happened and he said, well, now what you think? And I said, you know what? Before I give you, you know, my real feelings on that, I like to, uh, you know, get back to the crib, get back to the city and um, get my homie's perspective on whatever, everything that went down too. You know what I'm saying? Before I just, you know. But in the meanwhile, Let's talk about music. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I thought he was going to be like, hell no, nah, little nigga. <laughs> uh, I thought he, I, I ain't know. He went for it, though. He definitely went for it. So, you know, I was noticing all type of shit. You know, I'm real observant. I was noticing all type of shit. You know, you looking at a dude like Suge, West Coast mogul. I'm young in the game. Sitting here with the CEO of the most infamous but widely successful rap label, one of in the world. 
but the label was looking to rebuild because Snoop left, Dre left. You know what I'm saying? Death Row was in a rebuilding phase. This is a very interesting moment in hip-hop. Death Row Records was one of the biggest rap labels ever. And he still had the bag. Hundreds of millions. Six, seven mansions. Buildings filled with his vehicles. Over 60 vehicles. The bag was there, but they were in a rebuilding phase. So like I said, this is an interesting moment in hip hop and people need to understand this story, how it went from start to end, that last chapter. So I'm there talking to Suge. I noticed he had a platinum chain on. I noticed all the other inmates who walked up to him and thanked him for something, you know, like he paid a bill or he took care of medical expenses for someone's family members. You know what I'm saying? I'm, like I said, I'm observing. I'm watching everything. So as we spoke, he began to tell me what he can make happen for my career. You know, he told me, yo, big record sales, you know, awards, radio play, Grammys, all that. I could do all that for you. You know what I mean? And I ain't gonna lie. All that shit he was saying he could do, that shit was pouring down my ear like a magical elixir. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this, baby. <laughs> but, 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 even as a youngster, I had my wits about me. You know what I'm saying? I was concerned about the money. You know? I'm going to bring my A game in the booth every time. No question. My work ethic, unquestionable. Work round the clock. No problem. I'm do my job. You know what I'm saying? But what up with the money? Because I was living in a little ass apartment in Long Beach on Linden Avenue. And it was time to get the fuck out of there. You feel me? He told me he could drop a major bag on me. Suitcase. But it would no longer be a dog pound record slash death row thing. It would be me signing directly to death row records. Because after that war of words... Between C-Style, him and Daz, it was a rap on the original agreement. He was no longer interested in doing any kind of business with them. He explained a few more things about the deal. And then he said, Crooked Eye. Because that's how he said my name all the time. Crooked Eye. <laughs> you have a decision to make. You going to ride with the row? Take your career to the next level? Live your dreams? Or you gonna ride with your homies? I told him I'd go back to the city, talk to the guys, see what's up, and holler back at him. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we did small talk after that. You know what I'm saying? Bunch of small talk. And uh, I was out. On the plane ride back, I kept thinking about the fact that I walked into an ambush because I wasn't alerted by my homies on everything that went down before I got to Suge, you feel me? Maybe dudes were in the heat of the moment and not thinking of anything else or whatever, I don't know. But somebody should have picked up the call phone and said, yo, we just got into it with him, you know, and uh, this is what happened, yada, 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 ran it down to me. Nobody did, so I was on the plane like, yo, what's up with that, feel me? So I don't know, maybe, like I said, heat of the moment, 
last thing on your mind, you know what I mean? But anyway, the plane touched down in Long Beach. I went straight to Ann's house. Now, Ann, Ann's house was where all the homies chill. And I knew Daz and C-Style was there because somebody told me they was there. You know what I mean? So I pulled up, jumped out the car, saw Big C-Style. He busts out laughing, talk about cuz. I forgot you was even going up there to see Simon after we had that fucking argument, man. I forgot you went up there to see Simon. Now, y'all probably already know Simon is one of Suge's nicknames. Anyway, I laughed too. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, y'all niggas let me walk into an ambush. Them niggas could have killed me in them goddamn boondocks, man. <laughs> Styles said, my bad, cuz. But what happened up there? So I told him. After Suge expressed his dislike, his strong dislike for the conversation that y'all had, he offered me a deal. I remember Dad said, man, fuck that deal. <laughs> still hot. Dad's still hot. From the conversation, he was still hot. Stout said, yo, whatever you do, I'm going to support you, Loke. You know that. And that's just how style was. Me and him was really riding together back then. You know what I mean? I was I was this young protege. You feel me? So he had my back 100 no matter what the decision was. And I told him, I said, yo, I'm thinking about taking a deal. And I remember, I remember something that dad said. Dad said, Anybody who signs over there always has seven years of bad luck. It's called the death row curse. Damn. Let's pick this story up on episode two. Good looking, y'all. I'll talk to y'all in a minute.